This is uh, Kevin Evans with the chapter by chapter live class with Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are currently studying Acts. And last week we wrapped up Acts 5 where the apostles uh, have been uh, 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 stewarding the rapid growth of the early church at the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, the uh, Sadducees had, had had it with them and called a trial. And in the end, uh, they were scourged and released. And so they, they left uh, worshiping God and, 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 and thanking him for being able to suffer for the ministry because everything that happened was under the power of the Holy Spirit and they recognized that. And then chapter 6 starts. And in my opinion, there should be, you know, when I, when I write this screenplay, it's going to say... Uh, Se several months later, several months later, there's a, there's a time jump in there. I don't know exactly how far the time jump is, but it starts referring to increasing numbers and organizations of the church, and uh, they've grown to the point that they've overstepped themselves. The, the, the structure of the church has, you can't handle the people. And so uh, we have some... Uh, administrative issues and we get to see how the early apostles dealt with church administration for the first time and uh, and then the second part uh, of it we we are kind of introduced more thoroughly to Stephen and uh, Stephen is arrested which is what chapter 6 is all about uh, we, you know I think he lasted exactly as long as he was supposed to Okay, there you go. It, you take that up with God, Bill. Take that up with God. Okay, so uh, let's, uh, I'm going to read the first half of this, which is down to verse 7, and we'll unpack that, and uh, hopefully we will finish up the rest of the chapter after. So, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 6 of Acts, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And, and every pastor in the room had the hair at his back of his neck stand up right there at the end of that sentence, I think. Um, among them complained the widows. Oh, I lost my spot. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, I would, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That always made the hair in the back of my neck stand up. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay background. There are two 
class is the wrong word, of Jews in this early Christian church. They are Jews that come from two different kinds of backgrounds. There are Jews that were born in Israel and have attended the temple weekly because they can get there. And uh, they speak uh, Aramaic when they're in the street. Uh, because they are under control of the Romans, all of the documentation is in Latin, but that really doesn't come into it. Uh, they tend to speak Greek when they're talking to the Romans. Uh, the Latin is more of a written thing. And then uh, they also uh, uh, read the scripture in Hebrew in the temple because that's the language that Moses spoke, you know. So there's several languages going on here, but everybody speaks all of those languages. There's not like there's a lot of confusion. Uh, then, uh, before the, uh, uh, the during the, 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 the time of captivity, uh, all of the Jews, hundreds of years before this, had spread out all over uh, what was, you know, in the area of Arabia and, uh, and elsewhere. And when they all came back and reformed Israel, we still have the Jewish faith being practiced outside of Israel. And we have groups and populations that have intermixed with other peoples who are still uh, theologically Jewish, but they come from a mixed culture. Does that make sense? Those people still many of them read Hebrew. They're still reading the Bible in Hebrew. But when they do business out in the street, it's in Greek because that's the common language of commerce. And they may speak other languages uh, in their local area, but they're more Greek. And when they come into town, they may speak some Reformed Aramaic, which is the language of the street in Israel, but Maybe not. And so it may be a little shaky, and you have to shift over to Greek in order to get any conversation here. Plus, they're dressing like they're from another country. And some of their cultural uh, uh, traditions nuances. and nuances are all foreign. And so you have Jews who are foreigners, and then we have Jews who are local. First, first time for church strife, and then he carried on through the centuries. Recorded anyway. Uh, so, there is a fund we learned in the previous chapter where the church members are donating money into the fund that the apostles are distributing based upon needs of the church members. So it's kind of up to the 12 uh, as to where that money goes. And uh, as people have need, they're, they're, the church provides it. And then when they don't have need, they don't. And we can presume that, you know, you, you lose your job and you're in between employments or you know, the crop failed. Uh, you may need some support from the church for a while, but eventually you're going to become productive again and then, you know, get off of that and then start contributing to the rest. Uh, I don't think that most people stay there, with one exception. And that is widows, because women can't work and they don't have, uh, can't run a business legally, and uh, they're completely supportive, dependent upon their family. And when your husband dies, then you have no 
legal means of support. So somebody takes care of you or you become a prostitute. Those are your choices. Question for you, Kevin. Question. Yes. So what happens to the estate that the husband had? Does it not go to the widow? Well, there was supposed to be a system, but it doesn't always work. Uh, it's, it, uh, often the brother of the family would come in as a kinsman redeemer, and he would marry the widow. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to take up conjugal you know, uh, relations, but he's going to be responsible for her for the rest of her life. You know, but so it, it was a family-based system, and which is actually a pretty decent system. But you know, sometimes there's not any family, and sometimes all the brothers got killed in the war, and you well, know, stuff that, happens. But, but then, what happens to the estate if there's not a brother? Shouldn't it go to the widow? You know, I'm 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 not really versed in this part of ancient Hebraic law. Oh, yeah, I'm just curious. I just uh, when you're talking the lower economic part, there was no estate. Yeah, what talking about a rich family yeah she's probably taking care for her life yeah but i mean we're talking more common people it, there's no estate there's a house i found at least yeah, one reference like my family. yes exactly <laughs> uh, i wouldn't be able to take care of myself at all oh, no not in the least um so uh, 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 I found at least one reference that said that uh, widows passing away from starvation was a relatively common occurrence. Wow. So that's kind of a big deal. So one of the things that this fund is handling are believing widows who are part of the church and they are a constant part of that uh, 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 assistance. So, if you're passing out assistance and uh, you're one of the 12 and uh, you know you know, Aunt Darlene who doesn't have any support, you're going to go take care of the, the old widow you know that lives down the street that babysit for you first, right? Because you know her. And then you're going to do the one that she's best friend in because they, they hang out together. And you're going to take care of all the people that you know. But then there are the widows that are part of the Hellenistic <coughs> Jews who are from the Dysphoria who have moved into this area that do not know people, they do not have a history, and they are at the very least at the end of the list, right? They may not even be on the list. They may not even know who they are. Maybe living on the streets. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're the fringe part of the church and the fringe because of I think just the natural way that this is set up happens to all be Hellenistic Greek Jews they're all people from uh, they're foreigners you know at least in one way or another so the foreigners the Hellenistic Jews are complaining because they're second-class citizens and all of the widows that uh, speak good Aramaic are getting assistance and those that don't are being ignored. That sounds about right, right? So what do the, what do the 12 do? They call a meeting. They call a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> they learn how to finance the administration. Council. Yeah. Committee. They, they, they set up a committee. They set up a committee. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they made a committee and then they uh, sent that off to the committee and let them deal with it. Okay. They had lunch and then they 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. You are at least as cynical as I am. That's amazing. They came with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Fifty times. <laughs> they, they overlooked in the daily, just so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. And that has always made my skin crawl. What an elitist, snobbish thing to say. You're so high and mighty, Mr. Pastor, that you can't get your hands dirty. What's wrong with you? I was raised in ministers' families, and I have seen the ugliness of ministers' families and the ugliness of congregants in places that nobody else has ever seen, and I have developed the most cynical outlook toward life that you could possibly imagine. Oh, and I read this and I go, oh, I hate all 12 of them right there. And I have to say that I got past it this week. This has been egging at me for years. <laughs> They're not talking about waiting tables in the American sense of a restaurant. They're talking about money tables. Uh, the money table is where people come in to make those donations and somebody... Matthew is keeping books because you know they stuck Matthew with this. Anyway, uh, somebody's having to keep the accounting. And in the accounting, they do the distribution so that they know that, you know, nobody's got their hands in the till because you know they remember Judas. So they, they, they worked out some kind of systematic double treasurer deal so that that didn't happen no more, as well they should have. Okay, so... Two signatures on a check, brother. Firmly believe. Four eyes on every nickel. I, yes. Okay. So uh, they, they, they're, they're starting to put in some basic organizational structure, and that's there. And that takes time. I know from personal experience, and if you computerize it, you have to go get, you, you get the training for two days, which costs $500, and then you have to come in and you put, the, put the, 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 the machine in, and then you have to learn QuickBooks, and then you have to set up QuickBooks in such a way that it can deal with, with fund-based, non-charitable uh, uh, accounting, which is a whole different deal. Okay, yeah. So they're dealing with that. It takes time. I don't know what theirs look like. I just know what mine does. Evidently not. Yes, but even so, and I think this is before double column accounting. In fact, according to my lectures in high school, it is. But uh, they're still having to do some work to stay on top of that. Any business requires work, and this is this is a corporation. This is what what, what they're developing here. So uh, they don't want to spend time doing that. They need to be preaching. They have the power of the Holy Spirit upon them to go preach, and they don't want to spend six hours working math, you know, except for Matthew, because he was a tax collector, and we're totally going to make Matthew do this. Um, that was facetious. I'm sorry. So they say, let's find somebody that knows what they're doing and make this structure a little better so that we can cover all of this. It's actually a very good idea. It, it reads a little snooty, but I don't think that's the plan. I think it's a very sensitive response. It just translates badly, at least as far as I'm concerned. You have to have organization when you start to get that big. You do. And I think when there is a need 
in a group you need to adjust your organization to address that need and that's very appropriate and you should make a committee to deal with the thing that is most important to your group you know and and actually I have a whole lecture on Robert's rules of order and I don't really don't want to go there but uh, Robert's rules of order is specifically designed to adjust itself to meet the needs of whatever group it's on. That's why we, it works so well, is because you don't use all of it, you only use the part that you need to, and you make your, your organization work fairly. As long as your organization works fairly, it doesn't matter what it does, you know? So uh, that's where they are, and they need to add this additional structure. Now, I will say, there's a subtle little thing here. It says, uh, uh, in order to wait on tables, so in order to do the books. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to the gym and give them our attention to prayer and the ministry. I spent way too much time on the, on the number seven because seven is the, the number of uh, perfection and there's all this Old Testament stuff. And uh, pfft, that's not what that is. Actually, it's just, it's just tradition. Uh, in any temple, in any synagogue, when they form the committee, for whatever the committee is, the Jewish tradition is seven people. Now, I don't know why they chose seven originally, but that's what they always do. It's an odd number. If you get to a vote, you, you always have a decision. You know, uh, in fact, it's the, that rule is in Robert's Rules of Order, actually. You have to have an even number of members and, and then the, the, the president who doesn't vote. The only time he votes is when there's a tie. It's an odd number, so you never have a tied-up decision that you can't break. Uh, I, I think that's just, they're just being traditional in choosing the seven because that's what any other group in, in any other situation would have done. So they, you know, maybe they, they need more than seven to do this job, but then those seven are gonna find somebody to help them out. But they're putting seven people in charge. It's the committee. It's the committee in charge of widows. Yeah, multiple people in the committee anyway. Yeah. And so I, I don't think it's all that deep. I don't think there is a big spiritual connotation to this. Uh, so they need to be of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. I have so many cynical things to say. I'm He's got a cynical thing in his head right now. It, it would be all so rude and inappropriate. I've got to bite my tongue and hold it back. I want to hear it. Because uh, what makes them men of the Holy Spirit is those that are in prayer and spending time in the Word. Yes. What is wisdom? Hmm. I know people that absolutely spend a lot of time in prayer that I just don't think are wise at all. Yeah. Uh, and I think knowledge and wisdom are two completely different things. Intelligence and wisdom, sadly, are two completely different David things. David Jeremiah is the perfect example. <sighs> okay. <laughs> knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit and not a vegetable. Wisdom is knowing that despite that, you don't put it in the fruit salad. <laughs> and he's got a book that shows that <laughs> on my shelf <laughs> in my den. Uh, well, 
question. Do you think Stephen was wise in a way when he rose up, the way he rose up yes. at the people yeah. and got himself killed? I think he did what the Holy Spirit asked him to do, do and I think he responded to the Holy Spirit. I don't think he was worried about the consequences. The Holy Spirit I'm just asking him to it. Yeah. Um, you know, the God has his plan in all the apostles ended violently. You know, uh, John is the only one who died of natural causes, but that's because he survived being boiling. You know, I mean, oh my goodness. Uh, God, God just had things for John to do. That's the only reason he lived as long as he did. Yeah, uh, yeah. He was he was a very scarred man when he passed. So you know, I have to. I don't know that he necessarily dodged anything. Uh, okay, so yeah, we we want uh, people that are full of spirit and wisdom, and uh, so we will turn this responsibility over to them and give them our attention and prayer in the ministry of the word. So we have a committee. Uh, this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. None of those are Hebrew names. He says Nicholas was a proselyte. Right. He wasn't even Jewish. All of these guys are Hellenistic Jews. They are, they are people that are, that are Jewish, except for Nicholas, who have come into the faith from outside of the country. They're probably people of mixed heritage, and none of them have Hebrew names. So we can assume that the entire committee was made up of the people that were doing the complaining. Which is smart. <laughs> I think it's smart. Uh, uh, these are the people that needed to be addressed and so he, they, they gave them the, the job of, of doing this. And that way, if they know all of those uh, fringe people the best, I think, it's a practical yeah, it was, it was a practical choice. It meant if they had chosen seven uh, 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 Hebraic Jews from Jerusalem, they would have distributed to the same widows that were getting first choice first anyway, because that's who they knew. Right? Does that fix the problem? No. Not really. But what uh, if you gave into the complainers and then they could take the other extreme? Well, there is always that issue. People are people, aren't they? They decided to go with the, uh, the, the, the Hellenistic Jews. Now, presumably, we chose well because they're all men of high character, full of spirit and wisdom. And, uh, and everybody was with it. So I think. You know, if there were any issues that got war warmed out before this happened. So there was some discussion in between verses there, I think. Going back to the number seven, my Bible states that is the number of perfection. Uh -huh. It also states that there are, it's the number of that, and then there's seven, it, it, it goes over to seven attitudes of living the spiritual life. So. That's a commentator that's trying to sell a Bible, and he had that's to have he had, to, he had yeah. three more paragraphs <laughs> that he had to stick in after he looked up the word seven in another book. Okay, I'm sorry, my cynicism is coming through once again. Huh? Formatting's 
It is. It is. Particularly yours. You've got different colors and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So they've been anointed by the twelve. Uh, wow, that sounds familiar. Were these deacons staring at Yek? <laughs> I think it's where we get our formulation. Pre, pre deacon, maybe. In a way. It's pre what we based our deacon policy under? Would that be fair? Yeah, probably. But did they have the power of a deacon in today's church? Probably not. No. It's hard for a deacon to tell an apostle what to do. This is a committee running a fund. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 a they're in charge. Yeah, it's a charge. It's a charge of a fund. I know Robert Um. So. Yeah, I, 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 they weren't ever called deacons. They were always called the seven. I think it's interesting. The apostles weren't really called the apostles. They were the twelve, and then there's the seven. So that, that's how the church referred to those two organizations. So, um, so they, but they, but. They are anointed to be the seven and to minister. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Which is a conclusion. This is a summarizing statement. And, but it also kind of throws in that as they're growing, we've got a number of, I assume we're referring to uh, rabbis, Hebrew rabbis that are becoming uh, believers and entering their group. And so we've got a growing number of uh, church leadership that is abdicating Judaism and, and embracing Christ as the Messiah. So still growth happening and we've got a mixture of cultures in the group. And so I, I assume there's a lot more than 120 people in this church at this point. It doesn't give us numbers, but I think the church is growing. Well, there were in the last chapter there were people. It showed the number of people that were listening to the apostles in the temple, and uh, estimates in some of the commentators was like ten thousand. You know, once you factor in everybody, because uh, they only counted adult male heads. So, because no one else matters. Okay, so. Thank you, dear. Thank you. I was waiting on it. You were a little slow, I have to admit. I, I, yeah, so I wanted to give you an opportunity. Okay, so of these seven, the first one they mention is Stephen, and specifically they say a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then they name all these other guys, including the one who was not even Jewish and who came into it and got baptized in the faith and all. So now we hear about Stephen's story. And so uh, he's the one that Luke, who's writing this, is most interested in. And I think it's interesting, well, we'll get to that later. Uh, I'll, I'll read the section, we've got time. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, among members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, 
we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They, pro they produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know. Have you seen an angel? No, but if I've never seen an angel, so I really don't know what angel's faces look like. Well, you oh, might okay. say that, but you might, a person might be an angel that you wouldn't. Then what do their face look like? doesn't matter. Ah! Touche, <laughs> 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 um, touche. I think you made my point nicely, Lee. We see angels unawares. Uh-huh. Uh, so, Stephen is... A Hellenistic Jew. He is from outside of Israel and uh, he's probably speaking Greek to Greek people and he's part of the committee for widows and uh, he is preaching and performing miracles and wonders in his own personal ministry whom we can assume is to Hellenistic Jews Right? He's speaking to his people. That's usually the way God sets up ministries. We, we find somebody we can relate to, and God, you know, brings people like that. And so that's where he's going to, and he gets opposition from the synagogue of the freedmen. That's interesting. Reminds us libertines. Is that how you pronounce that word? Yeah, sure, why not? It means the same thing. Um, so. Well, kind of the same thing. There are connotations to libertine. Um, during the occupation, or, or the, 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 when the Jews were in captivity, during the captivity, they were unable to come to the temple. So a, uh, they developed a system of synagogues while they were in captivity in order to still be able to practice their faith. In the Old Testament, there is no discussion of synagogues, and suddenly synagogues are all over the place in the New Testament, and that is because they were invented in between the two during the period of the Magadu, or during the period of the occupation. So uh, what a synagogue is, and we've talked about this before, I know, is uh, it's a local community center. It is not a holy place. It is, the Jews don't consider it a church the way we would think of a church. It is not a sanctuary we, you know, where, where we, we are sanctifying a place as we worship God in church. This is a place where uh, the priests on the Sabbath can gather and teach and they can carry out their faith. No sacrifices taking place in the synagogue, but you might get married there. It's where you take care of all of the religious business uh, of your of, of your group and on off days when you don't have any religious stuff going on they might use it for a garage sale it really is kind of a community center you know and every little community will set that up 
Now, you have these groups of Jews that came in from other countries. And they all speak a language that's a little different than the people that are in Israel. They're naturally going to gather together because they understand each other better. They relate better, right? So there are synagogues, usually around the outskirts of, of, of Jerusalem and Israel, on the borders, where the synagogue deals with different kinds of folks. And so you may have a bunch of people who are all Assyrian in background, and they speak a little bit of Syrian, but they, they still have a rabbi, and you know they're studying Hebrew, but they have you know some Assyrian culture. And then you've got another uh, synagogue down the road that might be a slightly different flavor of people. It's no different in churches today, you know? Um, although in America, we're becoming much, much more mixed as far as that goes. Uh, anyway, this is the synagogue of the freedmen, which implies that they are made up of people that were ex-slaves outside of Israel in other countries who have been freed through one way or another and have now have families and these ex-slaves have gathered together in the same synagogue because they all have similar needs and psychological hang-ups because they were all they were all slaves and so we can deal with that all on our own in the synagogue and so uh, it's, and they, they uh, uh, Luke specifically tells us where they're from they're from Cyrene from Alexandria and from Cilicia and Asia Alexandria is in northern Africa, Cyrene is Syria, is that right? And then Cilicia is interesting because it is the greater country around the city of Tarsus. Tarsus was its capital. And we know someone from Tarsus named Saul, who was also a rabbi. And it would not be a huge leap to think that Saul, since he's from Cilicia, might be hanging around people that are from his home area in this synagogue. I think he might be known there if he's not a member. Bruce says this is his, his church. This is his church. Who said that? Bruce. Oh, Bruce did? Okay. He said this is probably his synagogue. Well, well, well I, I must have got there by somewhere. Okay. <laughs> it's not like I have an original idea or anything. So uh, I think also it supports the fact that Luke, we know, was a disciple of Paul during his ministry. And where do you think a lot of this information comes from? It's not like Luke was following poor Stephen around when all of this happened. This story came from somebody, and I think it was from Luke's master. Maybe Luke was there. I think Paul was there. Well, I, or Saul, I guess. Well, in the, the synagogue of the freedmen, which is made up of former slaves and children of former slaves, Paul was a Roman citizen. Yes. It wouldn't be, now this is often conjecture, that his father had gotten his Roman citizenship. Because if you were a slave of a Roman family and you got your emancipation, you, you, you were enrolled into that family and could get Roman citizenship. Really? So it might make, that's, it's all conjecture. That that's how Paul got his Roman citizenship, maybe from his father being a freed slave, and that's why he's part of the synagogue of the freedmen. That's a nice tidbit. I okay. Know, Thank you. I appreciate that. You, <laughs> you've had your contribution. I, I, I think you like it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, 
I think, I think that's where it all comes from. So these are North African Asian peoples who are in this church. And of course, they're, they're very, I mean, Paul was a focused, traditional, old school Pharisee. And it's not like they didn't have their doctrine down, you understand. So, in fact, they might even be motivated to make sure that they have their doctrine down for that reason, because they're kind of second-class citizens in, in, in the general uh, area. We do know that, that Paul was indoctrinated with a lot of uh, hardness toward Christians. I mean, they, they, they had really put that in his head that Christians were bad, which is why he went after them so hardly. Uh, yes. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. Do you think Stephen spoke about Moses and God? He may have spoken yeah, well, like... Well, if he did, it wasn't bad. I think he did. Yes. Uh, I, you know, everything here that they say is, they're probably not really lying. What they're doing is spinning. Yes. Uh, you know, because everything that Stephen, they accused Stephen of, Christ spoke about eloquently in the Gospels, but there are nuances to Christ's teaching, which is what I believe Stephen was teaching them. But they are spinning this into heresy, and it's, it's not a big step. I'm not sure. I think after they talked it up a little bit in the back room, being wise people, you, I, think, I don't think the witnesses really thought they were lying. I think you can prep your witness till he was pretty sure he's telling the whole truth, but he's spinning this side story that's making it look, uh, that's making Stephen look cagey, you know? Well, they did the same thing with Jesus. They twisted his word sure. around, so the false witnesses did. These people are snakes. They're sneaky. Vipers, as Jesus called them. Yep. They produce false witnesses. This fellow never stopped speaking against his holy place and against the law. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And his face was like an angel. I say his face was radiant for the simple fact that they had to make a, there had to be a point so that they focused on his face and saw a difference. I mean, like we said a while ago, you could see angels unawares. But I think here at this point that it was different because they had to see something different, something that would catch their attention. I mean, they are in the desert with the sun in the background. You know, to be fair, as much as I enjoy arguing with Bill, almost all commentators agree with you. So, uh, thank you for once. Okay, all commentators agree with you. I don't think there's an alternative explanation. And what they want to do is draw a parallel between Stephen and Moses. So, when Moses came down from Sinai after being in the presence of God for days, his face, his hair had turned white and his face was glowing to the point that he had to cover his face when he's talking to the people. Yeah, it, was, it was somewhere between scary and uncomfortable to look at. You this know. was God's mic drop. Yeah. Hey, he is talking about Moses. I I'm think so. And so they're accusing him of blaspheming Moses. I mean, literally, they, we're talking about Moses up here. We just invoked his name, and now Stephen's face is glowing like Moses is. I mean, this is that. This is God saying, yeah, this is, this is his confirmation. And they're ignoring it. You know, they acknowledged it, but they ignored it. Or into Saul's heart. 
Maybe so. I, this is my conjecture, not, but I mean, I'm thinking there was a slight respect. It probably bothered Saul at first that led to his conversion later on. That this is an uneducated man, Stephen, and he's keeping up with me in the debate. Mm-hmm. There was almost a reluctant re- respect. Sure. That, well, it's from like, God. Yeah, and, it, and Paul's like, first he can't handle it. Idiot, this is a common street person, and I'm an educated Pharisee. How could he get so How could he do this? And it was a kind of like a reluctant respect that later on, when the Holy Spirit comes on him, he goes, whoa, okay, this is why. Well, and it's kind of like, you know, we know that he held the coat mm-hmm. of all the people when they when stoned they him. Yeah, that's another chapter or so. Um, in verse 7, which we are going to tackle next week, or at least begin next week. Chapter 7. Yes, I meant chapter 7 of Acts. Uh, Stephen defends himself by preaching to the Sanhedrin. Once again, we have an opportunity to witness to the leadership. And, and Luke carefully records uh, Stephen's message to the point that it is the longest single sermon in Acts and one of the longest ones in the New Testament. And it's important. And he uh, records the whole thing. This was evidently a powerful message that had powerful effects. And so we will probably take a week or two uh, uh, tweezing that out. Uh, Yes. Question. You know, they called them freedmen's. Freedmen's, is that the same name that carried over to the days of the Civil War when they were when they were emancipated, they were called freedmen's. Okay. A lot of them. Really? You want the epistemological breakdown here? Uh, we have we have one minute. I can't do this in one minute. Okay. Uh, yes and no. Uh, freedman means freed slave. However, during the um, um, uh, time of the pilgrims, when the United States was first being settled as a colony, uh, the pilgrims came here and established their own government, and they were kind of following some English tradition, but discarding as much as they could because they wanted a clean and pure and Christian government. And so they wanted all the smart people, all the good Christians, the good people, to um, be running the colony and so they set up a caste system in among the pilgrims. And you had to own property. You had to be married. You had to be a person of good repute. So if anybody ever got into a business argument with you and they called you a cheat, then you could not hold certain uh, uh, jobs. And, uh, and then there were maybe a couple other things. And if so, you would, you, they would give you a title of freeman, which means a man free of the government, or debt, really. A man free of the devil. You are free. And, and if you were free, then you could vote, because really it meant voter. You were the only enfranchised person in the colony. And you were uh, required to take a job from them every now and then. So they would assign you road commissioner if they felt like they needed a road commissioner. And you had to go build some roads whether you liked it or not. That happened a lot during the colony. But only to the freedmen. If you were a lowly person, you didn't get assigned road commissioner. You understand? So uh, there, there was there were some responsibilities that went on with it. But freedmen did not necessarily mean ex-slave. However, it comes from the basic concept of being free of sin. And then, then the Civil War came along, and then we had freed slaves, and the word means 
freed slave again. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there, there are, it depends on which Freeman you're talking to. So I named my youngest son Freeman. Clay's middle name is Freeman. He's named after his grandfather. Now, does that mean that he is free of all sin? Or does that mean he's free of slavery? Thank you. <laughs> it does not matter. All right. And with that, I'm signing off. I'll see you guys next week. That and Bye. Cornell get you